Good afternoon on a good Friday, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5. KPL live and in studio with you. Wanted to see you guys out into the uh, Easter weekend. I hope that you have a a blessed one, that you're able to spend time with family and loved ones. On this, probably the most important weekend. Well, it's it's the most important weekend in the Christian calendar, but it's it's a recognition. Today is a recognition of what is arguably the most important three days in human history, the most impactful three days in human history. Without a doubt, the birth and death, particularly the death and subsequent resurrection of a man named Jesus of Nazareth has been responsible for a great, great many accomplishments and notable events in human history. The the very foundation of a lot of modern history stems from the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And if you are a student of history, there are plenty of texts, there are plenty of witnesses, there are plenty of folks from the era, from their subsequent writings, from the teachings passed down to their students, that acknowledge that this one man, his existence and the fundamental change that it brought about in that region of the world and spread like wildfire through the Roman Empire, that had a huge impact on human history from that from from those days forward. You would have to write out a lot of people from history in order to say that this guy never existed. Now you can argue whether or not you believe the resurrection actually happened, if it's another metaphor, if it's all part of some greater myth, but the fact of the matter is that there was a guy named Jesus who went around and became a major religious figure. And the faith in him spread through the biggest empire in the world and fundamentally altered the course of human history. That is, without a doubt, something that happened. In today's secular political era, there is something that conservatives can learn from the days following the death and resurrection and subsequent teachings about Jesus of Nazareth. I've mentioned before that a lot of a lot of times people talk about how they don't listen to ideas outside of their bubble. And we talk bubble this bubble that people only listen to ideas that they like and they reject ideas they don't like. And I've always found the metaphor flawed. You can see through a bubble. You can see through a window. These are things you can understand that even if you're in a room by yourself with all your friends, you don't care about the outside world. You can look through a window and see that there are other people out there.
I refer to the secular political culture not as a series of bubbles, but a series of lead-lined bunkers. Not only do we allow things that we like in and don't allow the things we don't like in, but we are actually, we've actually constructed our bunkers in a way that there is no outside. Nobody, nothing exists outside of those bunkers. We don't even want to know that other people who think different than us exist. We don't even want to know that other ideas different than us exist. We, in secular political culture, do not acknowledge that another perspective, another point of view exists. We live in an age where we would rather ignore cancel, shun from public society the people that we don't agree with. It happens some on the right, but it's it's really a major part of modern progressive left culture. That if you don't think the right things, if you don't believe what they do, you should be thrown out of the public square. And we can all learn something from the early church Because the early church knew it was in a minority. They knew that people did not accept what they believed in. They knew they were mocked as a a cult following some crazy guy from Israel. That's what they knew the world saw them as. And in defiance of that, in defiance of the threats, in defiance of the persecutions— in defiance of being stoned, crucified, thrown off of buildings, whatever, they stood their ground and they made their arguments and they convinced people to join them. They didn't reject the outside world. They didn't reject things that were not Christian. The early church stood their ground and argued in the face of detractions. And as a result of them standing their ground, of them in defiance of the powers that be, standing their ground and speaking their truth, the the truth, that Jesus of Nazareth was Jesus Christ, was the Son of God, who came and walked among humans, who suffered for the rest of humankind in the name of his Father, God. Because he did that for us, we must do it for him. We must stand our ground. We must speak the truth in defiance of the pagan world around us. That's what the early church, the early Christians did. And today, on the left and the right, not as much on the right, but you still see it on the right, we have people that are just as willing to reject the existence of that outside world. We have people that want to reject that any other ideas, any other beliefs exist, and if they aren't with us, they are against us, we don't want them. And we should be better than that. This is, this is one of the things that bothers me about the modern political era. 
Ronald Reagan was a fantastic president. And the reason Ronald Reagan was a fantastic president was not because he won every conservative battle so decisively. In fact, Ronald Reagan made concessions to the Democrats. But Ronald Reagan stood his ground and along with the leadership of the Democratic Party sat there and negotiated. And because they negotiated, because they sat down, because they fought for what they believed and not they didn't fight for what they think they could get or what they thought they could get. They fought for what they believed in. And Ronald Reagan was able to walk away with major victories, the kind of victories Republicans haven't seen since. To an extent, you can say Donald Trump had some really good victories, but at the same time, you could say that George Bush had some good victories. Both of them. George W. more than George H.W. But the kinds of victories and the amount of victories that Ronald Reagan won when he was president was due to the fact that he stood his ground and he negotiated. He didn't take a hard stance and declare that everybody that was against him was an enemy. He stood there and made his case to the enemy. But he also didn't treat them as an enemy. He treated them as somebody to negotiate with, somebody to work with. He didn't exist in some bunker and reject the Democrats outright. And because Ronald Reagan was able to do that, America experienced a really, really good era. Historically speaking, things were very good for America during that time. Were they perfect? No, there's never going to be a perfect time. But the era of America under Ronald Reagan was one of the best in a while. Now, during the Trump years, economically speaking, things were great. And yes, thing, uh, Donald Trump was able to get three Supreme Court justices that were conservatives onto the Supreme Court. And because of that, Roe versus Wade was overturned. There were some solid gains that were made under Donald Trump that you could not have had, you could not have gotten made under George H.W. Bush or under George W. Bush. But it was Ronald Reagan's inherent love for his fellow man and refusal to treat people as enemies, but just as people that need to be negotiated with, talked to, reasoned with, people that you may not get to agree with you, but you can at least come to an understanding with. That's what made his administration much more successful. He did not treat anybody as an enemy who needed to be left outside the bunker. The early Christian church did not live in a bunker. They went out they talked to people, they stood in the face of persecution, they argued their case, and their beliefs became the cornerstone of modern civilization in the Western world. But all too often, we as a society find ourselves preferring to close ourselves off than open ourselves up to the world around us and engage in the world around us. And it is to our detriment as a society 
And Good Friday is a day to remember that. Because on Good Friday, a man stood in defiance of the secular powers that be and would not renounce his mission in the world, and he was killed for it. And he rose again three days later. And his followers stood in the face of the same persecution. They were put to the same death in many cases. But because they engaged in the public square, because they engaged in the debate, because they stood firm, they did not lock themselves away, they did not shut themselves away, their movement became a world-changing movement. 232-1542, if you want to be part of the program, lots more to come. We've got some of the headlines of the day and, of course, your calls, your messages through the KPL app chat here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, uh, despite the fact that it is uh, Good Friday, we did get a jobs report today, and that is uh, that is a bit of good news, actually, what we saw in it. So the job market did cool. It, it slowed down a bit. Uh, only 236,000 jobs were created. Now, what you need to know that this comes in light of several layoffs at major tech firms and McDonald's as well has massive layoffs that are currently underway uh, people can take the layoff or they can take a pay cut. Uh, according to the Wall Street Journal, that came out a little while ago, just before the show. But the jobs numbers, 236,000 jobs created in uh, in March. Job gains at many services, this is from the Wall Street Journal this morning, Jobs uh, job gains at many service businesses are helping offset cuts at large companies in industries such as technology, finance, and entertainment. Zoom Video Communications, Inc. is laying off 1,300 employees or 15% of its staff. Goldman Sachs Group, Inc. plans to cut about 3,200 jobs while Disney began laying off workers in late March. Weekly jobless claims, a proxy for layoffs, have risen from historic lows and job openings have declined in signs of easing demand for workers as the job market gradually cools. The great labor market machine is finally slowing down, but it's still got a lot of strength left, according to Robert Frick, corporate economist at Navy Federal Credit Union. This is part of what the, uh, of what the, the Fed is actually looking for. With, with jobs slowing down, is, is, with a hot job market, and wage growth, you still have risk. I mean, that, that's still part of the risk of inflation because that's still keeping a whole lot more money in the market. You're trying to scale back on a lot of that to, to cool the economy down, which is what the Fed is trying to do with its aggressive rate hikes. Now, remember, we had a mini financial crisis where three uh, major tech-aligned banks shut down, but the... Um, but that financial, that, that mini financial crash didn't really do anything. That little mini financial crash really, it, 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 we, we're not seeing the effects of that in, that in this jobs report. We're not seeing really any fallout from that economically. And the Federal Reserve, despite that, still raised the interest rate at their meeting a couple of weeks ago. 
So the Fed is still pushing onward. The Fed is still trying to get inflation down to 2% or below. And they're seeing that their strategy is working because they are because the, the, the job uh, the job market is cooling off quite a bit. That's something the Fed is actually hoping for. All right, we're going to take this break. We've got our bottom of the hour news, commodities report, all that coming up. When I come back, I've got some callers on the line. Want to get to y'all, want to get to messages on the KPL app chat. All that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, you can also send a message through the KPL app chat. Shout out to Jay Bird who uh, reached out at the end of the show yesterday, did not see that after I had gone off the air, but uh, Jay Bird's been commenting the last couple days. Uh, appreciate the engagement on the app. Absolutely love it. Love it when you guys uh, are taking part in the conversation, either on the phone or on the app. Uh, absolutely love it. I love conversing with y'all. Um, so, I, okay, I, I am going to get into this. I I wasn't sure if I was going to. There's a story that I, I want to get to as well in a little bit. But so... Most people in most people who are the, the big names in in talk radio right now, they have these these massive followings on social media. They have their, the, these platforms they've they've built up for themselves. Now, in some cases, they build these, these up very quickly. In some cases, they've been working at it for years and have just slowly built up. I'm in the latter camp. I don't have a massive following, not like those guys. I have a pretty decent following online, but nothing like you would see from some of those other conservative influencers online. And I've told you guys before that I use Substack. That's where I host the podcast version of the show. That's where I put a lot of the stuff that I write both at Red State and just kind of write on my own. JoeCunninghamShow.substack.com. That's where all of my political stuff is going. That's where the podcast version of this show goes. You can find it there. I mean, the, the podcast feeds into Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the, those other p- platforms, but it's hosted through Substack. Substack makes it very easy for me to do that kind of thing. Well, Substack recently announced it's rolling out a microblogging feature, meaning shorter messages, shorter posts that you can include links and other media in, basically would work like a Facebook or a Twitter, except it's all part of the inclusive Substack platform. These subscriber-based models of content generation are on the rise, and Substack's been able to take advantage and has been able to do a lot of innovative things. Well, that microblogging thing has gotten the ire of Elon Musk. Elon Musk not happy about what is potentially a rival with the microblogging thing, so he has blocked tweets from being able to be embedded in Substack posts, meaning if I were to take a link to somebody's tweet and put it in something I write at Substack, that tweet wouldn't populate. It would just be the link. As a result, that kind of affects the content flow. What's worse, though, is that Substack links on Twitter can no longer be engaged with. I can post a link to something I write on Substack on Twitter But Twitter, the way it's programmed right now, you cannot retweet it, you cannot like it, you cannot reply to a tweet that has a Substack link in it, nothing like that. 
so for somebody like me who is trying to build a platform for myself, I'm now getting screwed by Elon Musk's tantrum against Substack. But it's it's not just about me. I I'm trying to build an audience both here at KPL and online. So those of you who like the stuff that I say on the radio, who like how I address things, who like how I address these issues, when I'm trying to do that online, I'm finding myself hampered now by Elon Musk at Twitter. But it's not just about me. This is actually a larger issue that we're going to have to deal with. Elon Musk has talked about the poisonous mainstream media, just like all of us have. If you're listening to this show, you think the mainstream media is a corrupt, left-leaning group of organizations, and you're not too far off the bat. But as much as Elon Musk is railing against the mainstream media, he turns around and makes it easier for the mainstream media to drown out the voices of independent journalists, pundits, etc. on other places. Substack needs Twitter because Twitter followers become great readers. And Elon Musk is hindering the ability of independent journalists, independent writers, independent thinkers by blocking the engagement on their social media posts. Now, if you're not familiar with how social media works, it's a series of algorithms, a series of little tiny bits of code that take content that you interact with and show more content like that that other people have interacted with. So even if you aren't directly following somebody, you might see a tweet that somebody else saw and retweeted, and you follow that person, just not the thing they're interacting with. It's a way to expose more of that. It's a way to get yourself more access or more exposure to that content. But if Twitter is actively suppressing the engagement on posts that have Substack links, those independent journalists and thinkers and pundits and idea people, their work doesn't get spread. Their voices are hindered, and the mainstream can once again dominate the marketplace. Which is not an ideal situation if you want to actually counteract the agenda of the mainstream media. I am at a disadvantage. I love the fact that y'all are listening. I want you to go tell your friends and family to also listen to this show from 3 to 4 p.m. every weekday here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Tell your friends and family the Joe Cunningham Show is a great show to listen to in the afternoons. You go pick up the kids, you turn it on while you're waiting to pick up your kids or on the drive home, whatever. Listen to the podcast version later, however you want to get it, but it's a show you should listen to. Go out, tell your friends and family. But in trying to draw an audience online as well, trying to draw more people outside of this listening audience to this fantastic station, to what I think is a good show, my ability to do so has now been crippled by Elon Musk and his tantrum against this supposed competitor. And Substack's not trying to compete with Twitter. Substack, frankly, cannot compete with Twitter because you do not have as many people who can generate as big a following on Substack as you do on Twitter. You need those followings to be able to bring people to Twitter, to Substack. Substack relies on Twitter for growth, and Substack is not going to overtake Twitter in growth because they are two, ser- they are two companies that provide two completely different services. They just have some features that are now going to be similar. And the problem 
is that when you're silencing those voices, you are making it harder for any voice, any thought, any thinking outside of the mainstream to get out into the main public square. And I talk about the public square all the time because we need voices. That's why I said at the beginning of the show, we need to stand up and argue in the public square. We don't need to shut people out and retreat out of the public square and just focus on ourselves and our ideas. We need to be out there engaging. In the online space, we try to be out there and engaging at each and every turn for whatever reason, for whatever whatever the day is, whatever the issue of the moment is, big tech is for some reason trying to silence those independent thoughts and want you only focused on the mainstream media. So as a result, if I were to tell you on the radio, go to joecunninghamshow.substack.com, sign up for the newsletter, sign up to get the podcast every time I release it, I can reach y'all. And you can turn around and you can go tell your friends and family about it. You can go post that link on your Facebook page, on your Twitter, whatever, but they can't engage with it on Twitter. And so if you're on Twitter and you share that link, it doesn't get spread around. So there's no, there's almost no point in doing it. Now, if you like what somebody like me says, if you like what somebody like me does in terms of taking the news and analyzing it and breaking it down and sharing with you not just the facts but also my opinion, but keeping in mind that there is a whole other set of opinions and you need to be aware of those and analyzing and breaking down. If you like all of that and you want to see more of it, then those platforms need to be able to grow away from, outside from the mainstream media because the mainstream media will grab whatever voice it likes and make that voice conform to its standards. That voice will not bring the mainstream media more in line with it, but the mainstream media will bring that voice more in line with them. We need people to be able to freely build platforms, and Elon Musk's tantrum does not help with that. And so I'm worried that independent voices out there across the internet are now slowly starting to get silenced because they can't play the mainstream media's game, and Elon Musk is making it even harder for them to try. It is inherently anti-democratic. And I know that people like Elon Musk right now because he's taking it to the mainstream, he's taking it to the Democrats, all this, that, and the other. I'm sorry. This tantrum does more to undermine independent thought and voices than anything he might have done to, quote, liberate Twitter. So we need to make sure that the independent voices, the people that are not beholden to one side or another, but the independent people, the people who bring you original thoughts, who bring you new ideas, who bring you things different than the loud voices on either side of the aisle bring you, you need to make sure that they have a chance to be heard. And Elon Musk is actively preventing that. All right, 232-1542, let me go ahead and take this last break for the day. When we come back, I want to get into another news story. The Biden administration's focus 
is completely out of whack. And the issues they're deciding to take a stand on are going to be what hurts them in 2024, assuming the Republicans can actually get their act together. We'll talk about that more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. So I want to get to this story real quick before we close out the day. Um, the Biden administration, uh, through their Department of Education, is pushing new Title IX rules that would prohibit schools from banning trans athletes. So, you know, we've had this fight over whether or not biological males should be able to compete in female sports. And the left is saying, well, we should. The right is saying there is a fundamental biological advantage these boys have over biological females. And the Biden administration is focused on this, is focused on the social justice aspect of allowing trans athletes to compete under the gender they identify with rather than the sex they are born as. And I want you to take that story, juxtapose it with this. The Biden administration is currently attacking the Republican Party and accusing them of helping the cartels bring in fentanyl. The the Biden administration is actually saying the Republican Party is helping the cartels bring in fentanyl. How? By blocking the the uh by blocking a permanent director for the ATF. I wish I was making this up. The Biden White House is actually accusing Republicans of wanting to help the cartels by being anti-ATF. White House spokesperson Andrew Bates, in a statement to NBC News, listen to this. MAGA Republican extremism in Congress is a growing threat to the fight against violent crime and fentanyl trafficking. President Biden is working hard to prevent the flow of firearms into the hands of cartels as part of a comprehensive strategy to block the flow of fentanyl into the United States. But hardcore MAGA members of Congress are doing everything they can to thwart these efforts. MAGA Republicans in Congress are trying to defund and abolish the ATF, the federal law enforcement agency responsible for helping stop the flow of firearms into the hands of traffickers. Assault weapons purchased in the United States are arming drug cartels and enabling them to outgun law enforcement. The ATF is not responsible for stopping fentanyl. That is Border Patrol, because it's coming in from our southern border, and the DEA. Now, yes, the gun aspect of it is one aspect, but that's not the ATF's job. The ATF has been more focused on passing rules that turn millions of Americans into felons overnight rather than actually dealing with any sort of flow of guns to the southern border. But the Biden administration knows that Biden is going to look weak on crime and border security and the fentanyl crisis, so they're deflecting blame 
onto the Republicans, despite the fact that it was one of Joe Biden's campaign promises to curb the flow of fentanyl into the country. He has actually opened up the border and made it even more accessible, made it even easier for fentanyl to flood our streets. And because it's now easy for that, Biden's failed. The Biden administration has failed on the Border Patrol fight and the fentanyl fight. And so they're deflecting all the blame onto Republicans by saying, well, they're blocking an ATF director in the Senate. They want to abolish the ATF. Never mind the ATF is trying to abolish the Second Amendment. Biden's ATF is actively undermining the Second Amendment in this country and turning millions of Americans into felons by passing an arbitrary rule that does nothing to actually curb gun violence in the country. So because Biden would rather pass a rule that would make Americans felons by owning a pistol brace and by banning schools and school districts and states from being able to bar transgender athletes from playing under a gender they were not born as because they're focusing on that. They are, they've completely lost the plot in terms of where they should be focused in order to actually fix the things that are wrong in this country. But they know that people are actually not going to care as much about these social justice rules, the gun control stuff, the trans stuff. So they're trying to deflect the blame on the stuff they failed on to the Republican party. That's not leadership. That's cowardice. And the Biden administration really ought to be ashamed of itself. But of course, they know no shame. All right, you guys, have a happy Easter. Be with your families. Be well. Drive safe if you're traveling. Talk to you again on Monday here on the Joe Cunningham Show. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Email joe at redstate.com. Like I mentioned earlier, joecunninghamshow.substack.com is where you can find my writings, my podcast, everything like that. You guys have a great weekend. Shannon is offsides next here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.